Hey, blessings, everyone. Can everyone hear me all right? I just want to make sure. Okay. Good to be with um, all of you. And here we are in 2022. And I hope that each of you are finding a good pace um, as we start out this new year. Um, I know last week, as Rebecca gave us a, a wonderful sermon and invited us to the challenge of finding our word for the year, um, using your holy imagination uh, to come up with uh, where you think God wants to uh, pour in and work with you this year. And so um, she also shared that Wellspring uh, has its own word or phrase rather for the year because it's actually three words. And those three words are mending, equipping, and releasing. Mending, equipping, and releasing. And that's um, a lot to unpack when you put them all together. And so as a pastor team, we decided that it probably be would be most helpful if we kind of broke up each one into sections. And so um, over the course of the, the, the next few months, probably into the well into the year, we'll be really exploring and diving deeper into what does it mean to be mending? What does it mean to be equipping? What does it mean to be um, releasing? Because standing alone, I know you can probably define the word somewhat, but um, we also want to know with those words, what happens? What happens when we immerse ourselves in understanding how these three words are relevant and matter in God's kingdom? And so what about God's kingdom anyway? Uh, we say it all the time when we pray the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wellspring has been, and it continues to go through this process of, of renewal. And with it, we're dedicating more time, more attention and focus to understanding who we are as God's family, as part of his family, and we call that our identity. But also, what is the environment or the culture that God is calling us to help build, to impart, and to live in as we wait for the future kingdom inheritance? And that is God's kingdom that we are talking about now while you and I are still here. In fact, um, God's kingdom is such an important part of what we are doing now that um, in the New Testament, I've, I've read here that it's referred to over 80 times. And I think we have a slide. I'm hoping that it will come up. It's a little, photo, a little picture of God's kingdom. Okay. And um, God's kingdom um, is, misconception number one, is not the church or churches. Um, the kingdom of heaven is not where people go after death. When Jesus delivered the Beatitudes in his ministry, he is actually describing a culture in real time, then and now. The kingdom of heaven is where God rules, and evil is powerless. There's a philosopher and Christian author on spiritual formation named Dallas Willard who writes that the kingdom is where what God wants done is done. The kingdom is where what God wants done is done. Thank you for that slide. Um, so we belong to a father who loves us so much that he doesn't want us to have to wait to know a taste of 
some of the best things that he offers us. But in order to do that, though, it does come at a cost, and it's a lot of work. And it requires us to do self-examination and reflection and be honest about what we see in ourselves and the current culture that exists, whether that be your nuclear family, your church family, your ethnic um, race, um, gender, vocation, and even hardest of all, I think just your Christian family, Christians around the world and what we're doing today. One of the reasons we wanna be introspective um, in these areas of life is that many people are leaving the church. Many people are feeling um, disillusioned and disheartened. What is happening to God's kingdom culture? Can it be mended? If so, where do we begin? So we're gonna be spending a couple of months preaching on what it means, what it looks like to mend life. And I think we have a little logo that um, pastor team um, came up with. And so you'll see at the top, mending life. That's what we're going to be focusing on. Um, and at below the needle and the thread, it says sewing Jesus's kingdom culture. So sewing Jesus's kingdom culture together. Um, now, what that means, the teachings um, of Jesus are what make up the kingdom culture of Jesus. And so that is what we're gonna be focusing on. And if you remember, I also said the words equipping and releasing, those um, words we're gonna dedicate a sermon series to those during Lent and Pentecost to understand what those words mean for us in God's kingdom. Okay, so hopefully I kind of just shaped that a little bit for us um, so that we have a big picture. Um, and then now we'll kind of dive into mending. So are we ready? Okay, so first, what does it mean um, when I say, what does it mean to mend? Um, is it the same as healing? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so, not quite. When I think about mending, um, let me ask you this question. Think about, have you ever owned something special to you that when it got ratty and worn out, it was nearly impossible for you to consider throwing it away because you just love it so much, right? There's, there's so much history with it and it's probably something really comfortable. It could be a favorite t-shirt or a pair of jeans or maybe a favorite book all worn from being read so many times or a blanket maybe it's a stuffed animal one of my children had a love at a very early age like maybe one years old they loved a little stuffed duck to death and i have these pictures here which um I'll, i i just will show you when when ducky came to us he was the cutest thing something you'd want to buy in a store. And so um, he came home and one of my children discovered Ducky and that was it. Ducky was and became a beloved part of the family over years. And so if you look at the pictures on the one that I see that and a, a child is holding it, that's Ducky after having gone through mending a few times. Because Ducky was so loved, his beak started to wear away he started to get holes and his stuffing started to pop out. And so each time Bucky needed mending, we do our best to mend. And if you look at his nose, that's actually the, the toe of a sock. 
um, because it was sturdy. Because <laughs> we had to mend that nose so many times. And if you look at the picture where Ducky looks kind of dirty and, and he's looking up, I think he's looking up to heaven saying, come take me. <laughs> um, that is a picture of Ducky now. And you know, Ducky was a real comfort and a real joy to um, my child who, um, yes, who, who loved Ducky to death. Um, and Ducky is now, uh, of course, my child no longer carries around um, the duck for comfort and joy, but Ducky sits in a drawer in my child's uh, room and every so often is pulled out. We would joke that Ducky's gonna go to the wedding of his child when they get married. So um, I have to say, truth be told, please don't go up to any of my children and ask them about Ducky because I think they would just be horrified. That is why I'm not mentioning names here, but. Um, this is a beautiful example about mending and how you know, we keep trying to um, repair and put things back together again. And you know, in the process, we may look really ragged and torn and worn, but there is something beautiful about that. You, you know that when you look at this duck, it was so loved and it had um, quite a life. So, so anyway, mending doesn't necessarily make something look feel brand new anymore, as you can see, but it does allow for a future, more wear and tear, more life. Um, it's not the end of Ducky, as you can see. Mending, it invites belovedness to the one who is mended and the one who mends. Mending invites belovedness to the one who is mended and the one who mends. Jesus is the ultimate mender. Jesus is the ultimate one who looks at us and loves us no matter what our condition. And today our scripture passage comes from John 21 verses 15 through 19 and brings the first of our series in our series of Jesus's teachings on mending and that is love in action. If you think of Jesus as the needle and us as the thread entering Jesus's kingdom, when we ask him into our hearts, that eye of the needle, it's really sometimes hard to thread and see and enter, isn't it? So I think we have another photo, just you know, saying the camel, the, the sheep is holding up the, the needle with the eye and you see the camel saying, you want me to do what? Um, and really, there's a, there's a scripture passage that talks about entering the kingdom of heaven is easier for a camel than a rich man um, when Jesus asks us to follow him. And so you can see the camel has the humps, but still it's easier for a camel than sometimes for us to um, make our way through that eye of the needle into um, God's arms and God's kingdom. It's a tough ask, but Jesus' promise is that by doing so, you will have treasures in heaven and not necessarily on earth. That is um, this, this passage about the end of the needle. It is one of those passages that is really hard to take seriously when you think about it. The rich man leaving everything to follow Jesus, going through the eye of the needle. And yet, Jesus was serious. Jesus was serious. My instinct is to, when I read these kinds of passages, to want to avoid them, 
or to gloss over them because I know that they require real hard sacrifice. But it's sacrifice that will mend my ways. It's sacrifice that will contribute to building Jesus's kingdom culture. This is a reflection question that we'll be asking you to pray and ponder on throughout our series um, as we bring the teachings. And, and that is, how seriously do I take Jesus and his teachings? How seriously do I take Jesus and his teachings? We're using a book um, written by Sky Jathani, and um, it is called, What If Jesus Was Serious? And we're using this just as a guide in case you're interested in doing some extra reading, um, we're not following it to the T, but this is giving us um, a number of, of guidelines and suggestions for um, bringing Jesus's teachings to you during this series. So what if, what if we took Jesus seriously? What would that look like? Friends, I have to tell you, I'm still stuck on that part, taking Jesus seriously, but I'm gonna try along with you and in the next eight weeks we're going to focus on the teachings of jesus that are necessary to enter into his kingdom culture and sometimes the sharpness of the needle will prick at our skins and our hearts and our conscience and our minds and it will startle us and sometimes it will even hurt but the good news about mending is that from it things are made better Mending, if I may make a distinction, is different than about healing. Mending is revisited, it is ongoing, it is routinely necessary to check ourselves so that we are as close as we can get to being the best that God made us to be. There is so much work to do as a good and faithful servant of our Lord. And God's kingdom has been watered down it has been vandalized, it has been flooded, it has been burned and rioted, and so much more that people who once wanted to be a part are wanting no part of it anymore. So if we want a kingdom culture that is vibrant and a healthy reflection of Jesus's heart and mind and soul, we do need to let Christ's needle prick at us enough to follow his mending process. Mending starts with the love of Christ calling us to active love. And so now um, let's turn to our passage as we watch Jesus impart love and action to Simon Peter, who was in dire need of being mended. So read along with me, um, John 21 verses 15 through 19. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And when he says that he's referring to the disciples there with him. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And Jesus told him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, some context here. Jesus has already been crucified and resurrected. And Jesus' disciples have actually seen him a couple of times already um, after resurrection and have been instructed to go to Galilee and wait there for Jesus. And so they go. When they get there, they don't really know what to do with themselves while waiting. Um, For Peter especially, this is awkward because he is really messed up from before Jesus' death. And if you remember um, these, the passages before, he had proudly proclaimed to Jesus that he would never abandon or deny him. But in fact, Peter did end up denying, knowing, and following Jesus, not once or twice, but three times. And even after Jesus tells him it's going to happen, Peter's ego won't accept it, right? He's saying, no, no, it's not going to happen. So perhaps now, after it has, Peter is feeling ashamed embarrassed maybe and very small in Jesus's presence again. So this passage takes place after the disciples have gone fishing. They don't know what else to do. So they kind of resort back to what was familiar to them in their old ways. They go fishing and they're fishing for fish, not men, but fish. And they catch nothing. And Jesus comes up on shore and tells them to throw the net the right side of the boat and sure enough they catch so much fish they can't even haul it in and after they catch the fish what else does jesus do but he cooks them breakfast he invites them to have breakfast and so jesus knows though that there's cleanup work to be done right there's more than just breakfast and seeing his disciples but um, peter is important and so jesus needs to talk with Peter um, about what has happened before and, and, and deal with that. And so he shepherds all of the disciples, but then he specifically focuses on Peter. And I bet during the meal, it was probably one of the most uncomfortable meals for Peter, right? Knowing that there's this elephant in the room. If I were Peter, I probably would be wondering, is he pissed at me? What is it? Um, is he disappointed in me? Yes, he's probably disappointed in me. I would probably be cowering. But this is what Jesus is about to teach Peter and all of us about love in action. And that, that is a vital requirement in order to sustain the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. So while Jesus recommissions Peter in this passage to leadership and ministry. That's something that happens here. He also teaches Peter, more importantly, about the love of Christ, the love of Christ that is always contending for restoration of relationships and the driving force in that love, which is Christ himself. In case you're a a newer Christian or perhaps you have come from a church um, where they haven't said this before jesus is all about contending for restoration of relationships um yes um, it we talk about sin and repentance but there's so much more and and 
big part is that Jesus wants to restore us. Jesus wants to restore our relationships. And Jesus' example while he was here on earth has everything to do with God's deep, unfailing love for us and for teaching us who are broken, who have come from paths where um, love has been unhealthy and toxic, um, that the love of Christ is about loving one another better and healthier and more Christ-like. So in this short conversation, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter is perplexed. Why does he keep asking me the same question? Um, haven't you ever wondered, why didn't Jesus just go for the jugular and say, where were you denying me three times? What the heck, Peter? Um, well, I've concluded that the reason Jesus did it this way is because his way is so much healthier. It's so much more effective. It's so much more compassionate, loving, and most of all, transformational. Which leads to our first teaching point today, that Jesus teaches us love in action always, number one, confronts with conscientious compassion. Love in action always confronts with conscientious compassion. And I had to look up the word confront because it sounds like you're being on the offensive and, and could possibly provoke defensiveness when we talk about confronting. You know, a lot of times we think about confronting our, our enemy, but the Oxford Dictionary online defines it as facing up to and dealing with a problem or a difficult situation, which this clearly was. Jesus' love is about facing our fears and contending for a better, a better um, person, a better life for each other. You and I may feel love for someone, but that doesn't mean that we're compelled to actively love them. Um, and there are different ways to actively love for the kingdom. But the point is that we are called to love with awareness of God's kingdom, and with God's agape love. And when Jesus confronts, it is never mean-spirited or ill-motivated. There is always compassion and wisdom. There is openness for exchange and care. There is a real desire to do what is right in the eyes of our Lord and Savior. Jesus' love is real love. Real love wills the good of another person. It acts in a manner that is in the best interest of another, even if the receiver resists the action. Okay. Interestingly, we don't hear Peter ask Jesus for forgiveness in this passage, right? Um, even though he's the one that hurt and betrayed Jesus um, after professing his love and devotion to him. And yet Jesus doesn't demand Peter to ask for forgiveness. However, Jesus doesn't let the opportunity pass to confront Peter about, about his behavior. But he does so in a way um, that makes Peter think that he doesn't do it in a way that Peter would want to retaliate in any way. He speaks truth and kindness. He loves Peter probably like no one ever has. And thus the man with an oversized ego and pridefulness is reached. Jesus was careful and caring with Peter, also recognizing that he had to address this issue with them before Peter 
could possibly go on to do ministry well and be well with Christ. And that is precisely what our world struggles with today. There are people that are entrusted with power and leadership and influence that haven't a good, healthy, vulnerable, open-hearted relationship with Christ. And yet Jesus doesn't give up on Peter, and he won't give up on any of us. So Jesus, in his conscientious and compassionate way, gives Peter opportunity to be restored here. Which brings us to the second teaching point today, that Jesus teaches us love in action always. Um, Jesus, is, Jesus teaches us love in action, and it always restores to reform. It restores to reform. And one of my favorite big words that I learned through one of our covenant orientation classes a few years ago was the word sanctification. And it literally means to be set apart for special use or purpose. And sanctification is really this process that you and I are on and that we begin when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And while we live in God's earthly kingdom, we are constantly in this process of sanctification until we go to be with him in our permanent home. So when we sin, God wants us to deal with the sin. He wants us to deal with our baggage that we bring along, our stuff, our brokenness, so that he can restore us to reform us. It is why he went to the cross. See, all of us are constantly in process of being formed by God to be more and more like Jesus, in the image of Jesus. And when we mess up prayer and confession and repentance, they are all part of God reforming us to get us back on track. Peter reluctantly knew enough to know that he had to deal with his stuff. God would have been lovingly persistent anyway, as he was asking Peter three times whether um, he loves um, Jesus and helping him to reset but also to be reformed from this experience. And this is important for each of us to be held accountable by Jesus as you help build and continue a culture of Jesus's kingdom. I imagine Peter and all the other disciples were shaken after Jesus's death and even after the resurrection, didn't completely feel at ease, even though what Jesus had said would happen, happened, right? Because they were still alone now, and there had been this tragedy, and it, there had been an indescribable loss. Now, all of these guys had to recover. But Peter, especially for talking big and in the end, deserting his teacher, had a greater fall to recover from. And Jesus knew that, and he also knew the importance of making sure that Peter and everyone else who follows Jesus knows no matter what. Their true identity is and will always be in Christ, beloved in Christ. He restores Peter to remind him of his true identity so that Peter can be reformed. Another nugget I hope that you take away with you today is if we are going to be part of sowing Jesus's kingdom culture with him, we must know we must be open to receiving and really claiming that our true identity, who we love first, who we follow first, 
who is the center of our lives first and foremost is God. God commissioned Peter as a disciple of his to go and help be a leader. And by recovering Peter, he speaks words of recommissioning to his fallen brother. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, knowing who you belong to, that your true identity is in Christ is foundational to allowing Christ to love you and to love others the way that Jesus did. Then Peter and anyone else could be recovered to reform, be released to God's mission. Last point, Jesus teaches us love in action, number three, is always mindful of his mission. It is always mindful of his mission. Jesus' entire life was shaped, lived, breathed around and about ministry, fulfilling God's plan to build God's kingdom. Our Father in heaven, along with his son Jesus, laid the foundation for kingdom. It's all about serving, feeding his sheep, tending his lambs. Despite the fact that we will fall short and screw things up as Peter did, God still believes in us. He believes in second, third, fourth, infinite new chances and beginnings. Peter eventually became this great servant leader, and good leaders are hard to find, especially today where so much of scripture has been watered down and misconstrued and even ignored. Jesus' final word to Peter after foretelling of what the cost would be to follow Christ is simply but powerfully stated. He just reminds him, follow me. And we know that this passage was life-changing for Peter as he became this fearless crusader for Christ. Jesus reminds Peter of the mission, and Peter is willing to live and die for his Savior. But this time, for real. One of the hardest questions for you and I, are we willing to live and die for our Savior? That is a really hard reflection question. So if you want to ease into that, take a look at the reflection questions in your sermon notes, which, um, by the way, the sermon notes look amazing. Thank you to TJ Rashears for um, putting that together um, for us um, in our bulletin. But those reflection questions might ease our way into some of these um, really heavy questions. Am I willing to live and die for my Savior? Now, as we close today, I want you to just please keep in mind that there doesn't need to be conflict for you to live into love and action. This is an example where there was some, some conflict, something that had to be resolved. I think Pastor Dan and Andre um, did focus on loving your enemies, and they did a wonderful job of, of preaching to us about loving our enemies well and being able to to pray um, God's blessing for wellness um, for them and their lives. Um, but I recognize that some conflicts are so big, they're so painful, they're even abusive, that it's best to talk with someone knowledgeable and trustworthy so that you are safe and the Holy Spirit's leading can help you cope and overcome, perhaps in different ways. Um, because God doesn't want to lead you into a situation that is going to be even more unhealthy and detrimental for you. Um, 
In fact, every so often, love in action is about space between people. Friends, the hope is that as we, um, as beloved brothers and sisters, daughters and sons of Christ, um, the hope is that we are always going to remain open to opportunity um, to confront or to stand up for Christ in conscientiously compassionate ways um, that we're going to always want to be about helping one another to being restored um, and reformed by our loving Father. And always, always to be mindful of the mission that Jesus began by coming to be with us in the flesh. Because that is what Jesus taught us to be about. So let's pray as we close our time together. Father of mercy, Father of love and grace, we pause to reflect on the life and the love of your son Jesus, his example to us, your only son who you, out of infinite love for us, sacrificed so that we would know the power of your love. Some of us come before you today to renew our commitment to you and being a part of a renewed kingdom that has been neglected and taken for granted for so long. Help us, Jesus, to follow your example of love and action. Help us to be kingdom builders, kingdom seekers, kingdom warriors, kingdom lovers. Etch into our minds and hearts the ways in which you help people to see their worldly ways and turn back to you. Mend us by confronting the enemies within us and around us in holy love and truth. Mend us by helping us to love others, to being reformed in your image. Mend us by making your mission our reason for living. Some of us today have never heard or been invited to your kingdom. And if that is someone here today that wants and desires a relationship with you, that wants to belong to you, we ask that you meet with them now as they just pray these words quietly. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and you out of your love, your great love for me died for my sins so that I would have eternal life. And Jesus, I welcome you now into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord, we thank you for making a way and a place for us to belong together, for creating a kingdom eternal to look forward to, and in the meantime, to work towards here on earth together as one heart, one mind, one soul that is yours, faithful Father. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.